You're listening to DraftKings Network. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, Devil Social Media. You need to make a little edit that says, he looks up grinning like a devil from Cruel Summer, Taylor Swift, and he has his tooth out. I don't, I think they're making a big deal of it because it's his first tooth he's ever lost while playing. Um, I don't know. Sarah, I that's very genius. How, that's how, it's so Hi. good. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody, welcome back to Too Many Men. My name, I think, is still Allison Lucan. Who's to say? Um, but as always, I am joined by the sun-kissed and bridal celebrating, but that is proof of her true friendship and nature as a quality human that we all just adore, Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you today? Yep, got the Miami tan going. I'm good. It was nice to not unwind, but... Um... Go feral in Miami for a few days and now I'm back. <laughs> and still keeping up with the hockey, like the dedicated professional that she is. Of course, we would not be too many men if we didn't have not only hockey expert extraordinaire, but also apparently dog mom to the masses who's caring for three pups of her own. I think maybe she's trying to draft her own hockey team here because she's now puppy sitting as well, doing all the things to care for them. It is the Athletics, Shayna Goldman. Shayna, say hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I am, you know, here. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> we're here still. You are, you some are brain cells. Present. Yes, you are yeah. in fact present. Well, we're we're happy to be here. We're happy to be back with everyone. Um, we've enjoyed the boots on the ground videos that we've been getting. Please keep sending those in as a reminder. We want to share all of those back out on social. And if we see one with too many men gear in it included, you'll probably be entered in a drawing for a prize. We've gotten at least one so far, so keep them coming. All right, my friends, let's get to it because as the number of games dwindle, the news and the intensity intensifies, so it is time for Sarah's favorite segment. Sarah, what time is it? Biddle news. I love that we still can't hear the drum. <laughs> we do it <laughs> I know, but I'm doing it every single time and giving it my all. Committed to the bit. So that's if we are nothing, if not committed to the bit, we love it. We respect it. Well, after a round one exit by the New York Rangers, who arguably were one of the most stacked up teams post deadline this season, Gerard Gallant and the New York Rangers have decided to quote mutually part 
ways. Uh, there was a lot of speculation that this was coming even before it happened, although in his postseason availability, Gerard Gallant at the time said he was shocked to hear any of it. And then what was it? Two days later, it was actually a thing. Um, but the Rangers are now without a head coach. Turk is back on the market. It was rumored that some players' feedback in their exit interviews may have had something to do with this as well, which we just saw in the Calgary market, we do believe. Uh, Shayna, this is all right in your backyard. Tell us if you think, first and foremost, was this the right call? Give us a yes or no there, and then look forward for us and tell us what kind of coach does this team need going forward? Yeah, um, I do think this was fair. I think we at this point know who Gerard Gallant is and what his strengths and weaknesses are. He's been with four NHL teams as a head coach. He has not lasted three seasons in any spot. And there's a lot of reason for it. There's the stubbornness, there's the talent evaluation, there's the lack of adaptability that continue to bite him. So who among us is surprised when we see the same thing happen over and over again? Because if you were to be fired from a job and then hired for the same job two seconds later, why would you change, right? Um, Looking forward... It seems like they Point might go for someone. She, she, she's very passionate about this one. Um, <laughs> well, it's her coach after all. It is. It is. Who knows what she said in the the you know exit interviews? Um, looking forward, it does feel like they're going to go the experienced route because it seems like any team that wants to contend feels like that's what they need to do, right, wrong, or sideways, and that the risk is going for inexperience when really the risk is going for experience that continues to fail elsewhere. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who is available because right now the options of Peter Laviolette and Daryl Sutter aren't the most intriguing, but you know, I think, I think one to watch is like Mike Sullivan, what happens with Pittsburgh if management looks for someone to, you know, they want their own coach when they change management. Um, otherwise it would nice to be see, to see someone get a new shot, but I don't think that's going to happen here. Sarah, I'm always, I always battle this when you hear about player feedback driving front office decisions. And depending on the situation, my opinion changes. Do you like the reported insinuation, not confirmation, that players' feedback had something to do with this change? And do you support um, the idea of changing coaches in New York? Yeah. I mean, think of it like any work. I mean, on one hand, I don't know. I like to think about it as a workplace where the players are the ones that are kind of out there giving it their all. And they, it reminds me of Bruce Cassidy in Boston, I guess, right? Where some of the younger players didn't maybe agree with his coaching style, a little stubborn, just like Turk. And oh my God, the Vegas carousel, here we go. But anyway, I just think, yes, it's kind of, oh, this generation's getting soft or whatever, but it's also, okay, let's work with it. And and figure it out. And I don't know. And go, I think everybody knew what they were getting with this guy. And sometimes it's just not conducive to the new way that hockey is being played, especially with how we slot talent, like Shana said. And I think you don't sit people to prove a point anymore. It just does not work. We're seeing again and again, over and over that putting people breaking news, putting people in a situation to succeed that works. So People have complaints about that. I'm all for it. And I think the best workplaces have that vibe where you can actually be honest and your feedback gets heard. So like, let's not pretend to that, like coaches don't have a shelf life for the people who are upset that the players' voices are heard 
and like a, the team actually makes a change. Like we know that in this league, it, it happens. Voices get stale in the room. You could look at Paul but Maurice this was right now and say, "Exceptionally short." I mean, oh, exceptional. But it's uh, it's such a pattern. This is someone who it feels like because he doesn't know how to change. Right? It's the same situation every time. You can walk away from coaching for a minute and adapt and change, or maybe you recognize it. But it's just it's kind of funny too. Like this is someone whose voice gets stale so quick every time. Mm-hmm. But like. Look at Paul Maurice with Florida. Like you can make the argument that maybe his voice was stale there for way too long. And now he's in a better situation. Like, I, you know, he's someone I feel like I'm very quick to judge and I should learn more about, honestly. Like I am kind of curious if it's like just a better fit for him and things like that. But like, it, it's it's the way it goes. You can be the best coach in the world. Like someone like Barry Trotz, everyone idolizes. His voice gets stale too. His message gets stale. That's how it goes. So it's like no surprise that someone who isn't even as good of a coach gets stale quicker. It's the human element too. It's just like, there is a human element to this stuff that I think we overlook so many times that yes, he was only there for a very short time, but whatever was said and with the expectations that they had, it does make a little sense to me, I guess. Well, here's my hot take. You ready for this? What if during the conversation with the front office, after his Vegas experience, he was in fa- was in fact mutually agreeing to part ways. And he was like, peace. I'm not like going to be on I, the hook for a whole nother season waiting for this to finally happen. It's so similar to, to remember with Florida, he said it after he got hired by Vegas, like he thought he was going to get fired. So he completely checked out. I could also see, and this is again, me speculating based on what I have learned about him from the, the last few years and different experiences, like, he could have been so furious that he had to answer those questions. And he did yeah, seem like exactly. he was because he oh, says totally. his record and th- that's it. He could have said, you put me in this fucking position to answer questions. And management could have been like, guess what? There's a reason for it. And you almost got fired earlier this season. And you lucked out the fact that there wasn't a better coach available than you. Like, it's not surprising he's someone that butts heads with coach. It's why he left Florida. It's why he left Vegas. It's, no, but I'm not saying he but I'm not saying he butt heads. I'm saying he did not want to put up with oh, another yeah. season of being strung along when he thinks this is inevitable yeah. again. Yeah, he could have been too pissed. Like you put me in this position. Fuck you. I want out too. Yes. So that's like, my hot take. I I think that's a good take. Yeah. You know what? I didn't really consider it from his end, but yeah, I think he's been jumbled around so much and this team changed so much while he was the coach and. I, I think they did kind of throw him under the bus a little bit. So we will see. Really uh, so though. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we will see uh, if Gerard Gallant ends up with another job. There were reports before this job that he might have gone to Columbus. We'll see if that interest is still there. And we'll see who New York hires. But that will be bit o news for another day because they demand attention, Sarah. Shayna, what time is it? How does it affect the Leafs? Folks, a little over a week ago, Maple Leafs fans gleefully celebrated the elimination (laughs) of the Boston Bruins. And as they celebrated literally in the streets, chanted and held up signs saying, we want Florida. Presuming that the Florida Panthers, who came back to win round one over the President's Cup Boston Bruins, would be the easiest opponent to advance into the conference final. And yet, here we are, three games later, Toronto has yet to record a single win in this series. Florida is going into game four with the opportunity to not only clinch a round two victory, but to do it 
in a sweep. There have been a lot of significant developments in this series since we last talked. Rookie Matthew Nyes has been injured. We believe he is concussed. He has been out of play for Toronto. Florida has been exceptional, backstopped by Sergei Bobrovsky. Meanwhile, in the other net, Toronto loses Samsonov um, to a very awful-looking injury in Game 3. And then in Game 3 in Florida, in front of the fans, where Toronto media was bitching because Florida involved a very common practice of a home rink to only geoblock and sell tickets to their hometown fans first, Reinhardt gets the overtime game-winning goal Sarah, you saw Florida in person. What is impressing you about Florida? And are they earning this or are they lucking into the opportunity to advance with one more win? Oh, at this point, there, there is no, there's luck involved, but that was kind of in the first round. I, I think there, it's not luck at all. It's There's so many game breakers on this team that I guess I didn't expect. Bobrovsky's playing well. He played great in game three. Um, and I think... It's just been great to see Palmer. I know, like, Paul Maurice is changing my mind about him, I guess. It just goes to show what a coaching fit does, as we just discussed. But I think Duclair looks great. Everybody is playing at the height of their game and capitalizing on a different team's mistake. And call that luck if you want. But I think that is just such an essential part of playoff success. Dana, what are the building blocks of Florida's on-ice winning ability right now? We've talked about Barbrowski. We've seen his ability to take over a game. And, you know, it is worth noting that this series schedule has a couple two-day breaks between games, which suits a player like Barbrowski, who can be a game changer, but is a little bit later in his career. And so every bit of rest can help a player like that. What else is working for Florida right now that impresses you? It's just the commitment to their to their style of play, which is so different from where they were last year, which I think is really impressive because it is a lot of the same players. Obviously, they changed their style. This isn't just the best rush-based team in the league anymore. This is a team that has this really, really, really strong forecheck. And it feels like when push came to shove and they were under so much pressure against Boston, they figured out a way to lean into their strengths and remember why they're here in the first place. It's everything that they were missing last year in a way, even though it's a different style. And you could say, well, this one's more conducive to playoff success. That's a different conversation. The fact is, it feels like everyone has bought into it. Um, and that's why they have a little bit more lineup balance, because it's more about the system than just you need your top players on the ice at all times and things like that. It's really, really impressive to see. Um because we're seeing just the commitment from the forwards and from the defense to give their all every shift because they kind of know like they're the underdogs and that's not going away anytime soon. The other thing too is I think part of what's helping them is last year's experience in a way because, and this is where Toronto comes into it because you have the team that finally makes a pass round one and all the narratives in the world, right? And then Florida gets their asses absolutely handed to them in round two last year. And part of it was the fact that their power play wasn't working and it's not great this year either, but the penalty kill is. So it's like, you're bouncing it out that way. Now you have Toronto that finally gets past round one and now they're getting their asses handed to them in round two. And it's like, it shows you, you like, even after you accomplish things, it's not over yet. And I feel like the Panthers understand their backs against the wall a little bit more than the Leafs right now. So it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt. Like, what is the answer here? Is it going to a strip club and letting your coach (laughs) know of it this time? And that's the key because folks, we're back here. We're back to the same conversation as last year. We're not finished. Like, I need to know. Maybe that's the answer. Go to the strip club and then go tell Sheldon Keefe or invite him to go with you. And then everything will be fine. So you don't have that like drama of last year with Brunette. 
think also it just goes to show we talk so much about the importance of a power play during the postseason, but this year it's really been five on five. I think like five on five dominance has helped so much when um, teams with like the best power plays that are always touted so much. Like I think about the Rangers, how they dried up at five on five and how much of an impact that had. So I think some of the narratives are being turned around a little bit. Well, we love narratives, right? Well, and Sarah, I wanted to ask you about this too, because one of the other narratives, I mean, and we're going to talk about this in another series here in a second, but you know, there were no expectations for Florida, us all included. And there've been some people thinking they're like getting us. Oh, gotcha. You guys said Paul Maurice was a bad coach. We've already said we got it wrong, folks. We've already all said that here. Um, but you know, there's a, there's an element of swagger, right? There's an element of confidence that definitely matters when every single game literally statistically cannot matter and be completely irrelevant, but still deliver a series win. Paul Maurice made a big to-do about inequity in penalty calls early in this series, to the extent that there's a meme of him going around holding up his fingers with counts of penalties called on each team. Do you like that? Do you like kind of just ingesting that vibe, that pseudo-controversy in as as a coach? And what do you think that might do for a team? Ingesting a vibe is a new term. (laughs) Listen, I'm trying. Vibe ingesters over I'm trying. (laughs) I hate all complaining about officiating no matter who it is honestly i'd like to ingest a different vibe but we're on the right track with making it somewhat dramatic i mean maurice is bringing the drama and i love him for that but i just think like everybody could have anything to say about officiating and you just don't want to get into that mental battle but i do like i feel like it's going to take some pressure off the players in a way too if the coach is drawing attention to them which i appreciate and it just feels too like it's such Doing that for this team, I don't know. The vibes are so different because, like, if you look at the accountability or lack thereof with that Jets team that he coached, and who knows if that was completely on the individual level of the players or what his fault was because we see the problems continue with other coaches still. But it feels like this team doesn't need it as much. You know, that that let me, you know, be the one that's finding reason that you don't have to be held accountable because the players are keeping themselves accountable that I wonder if that opens the door to him doing this because he doesn't want to give them excuses. Now you don't need it. And the other thing too, is they're making sure that they actually adapt in the series, right? Like that feels huge. The Florida is one of their biggest flaws going into this was the same as last year, the power play was three forwards, two defensemen, which we know no one in the league is really doing anymore for power play one, because it seems that when you go with four forwards who are more skilled and you emphasize you know, shooting from the flank and not back at the point, you're going to have a better chance of success on the power play. They still continued that into the postseason. And then when Ekblad was hurt, they forced, they were forced into just going with four forwards, one defenseman with Montour. And they kept it because it worked. It was a unit, I think originally it was Verhagian and then it was Sam Bennett who took over in that game. And because they, they had success, they went, this is what we're going to keep until it doesn't work. There's something to that too. Like it feels like knowing when to make a change and knowing when it, when not to is a vibe that they're kind of encompassing versus the Leafs who made a change after game two. They reshuffled the whole lineup when they were the better team in most of game two. You just have to stick with it sometimes. And then they changed everything and now they're the worst team in game three. Like it feels like that's another aspect of it too, but I don't know. That's that's my coaching take on this one. All right, so here's here's my final two questions. First one, Sarah, how big of a loss is it if Samsonov cannot go for game four? I don't think Hole looked bad, but, you know, this wasn't the intended plan. And now, in theory, you have Matt Murray as your backup in net. And back to how does this affect the Leafs? 
is this worse than not winning round one? Oh my God, what a loaded question that I've been thinking about a lot. And Dom's already tweeting like, which case scenario would be worse? Swept, take to seven, whatever. And we'll get into that. At first, I think, I mean, you'd never want to see someone go down like Samsonov did. But I do think even if he is clearing away the best goaltending option that they have, I think it's good to switch it up in what could potentially be an elimination game. Um, I think... I mean, obviously, the Bruins, that didn't work out for them. But I do think you might as well just try if, like, he hasn't been able to be up to task, right? So why not try it? And not that you have an option, but especially because you don't. The pressure's off, I guess. But also, um, no, this is not worse than losing in round one. They made it to round two. They really did. And they thwarted the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think that there's something to be said about that. And I think this is something you build on and everybody says that with the leaf so you build on round one and round one and round one i don't know how this will affect the leafs post or off season though what do we think yeah that that's the loaded one we'll wait to to break that down once we see how this series falls out uh shana do you agree that this is not as bad as a round one out yeah absolutely like because I, like we can look at the Panthers last year. There's something to getting that off your back finally, getting past round one. There's something to that accomplishment. I want. I don't know how much it's like. Well, they made it that far and they finally did it. That they could like exhale a little bit too much. But I still think it's it's something to learn from. Like, okay, that's one hill to climb. Here's the next. It might be next year going up against Boston, something that we know is something that's going to be tough for them because of like the narratives and just the fact that it's Boston. Like. There's something to building up to this. There's always something to learn. The further you go in the postseason, the better in most cases. It's not like this is a team that think like Chicago in the bubble when they somehow made it in. And then because they did well, they were like, oh, we can make all these moves in the offseason. Let's trade for Seth Jones and we don't need a rebuild right now. Like this isn't that, you know, it's a totally different situation. So it's not like this is giving them this false sense of hope that everything's okay. It's you made it past this. Now learn from it and go further. And it puts even more pressure on next year. So now it's going to be managing, building on this and that pressure considering everyone's contract situations next year. Well, we will wait to see who may be around to answer that question next season. And maybe next week we will know the answer to the question of whether or not Toronto will leaf the playoffs in this round. Nothing. Nothing from anyone. <laughs> I, I like, I've had a... a, a Gollop of seltzer in my mouth. Like I could not, I could not react. Okay. But I was like, here we go. I was left speechless. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's stick in the East for our other series going on there. Um, Carolina had built up a two game win uh, advantage over the New Jersey Devils. And it looked like the Devils were not going to be able to hold it together until play returned to their home ice. And on Sunday, they deliver an 8-4 smackdown of the Carolina Hurricanes in the world of how does this affect Rod Brindamore? He was <laughs> not happy after that game three. Um, this is an interesting series as well because New Jersey's fortunes seem to turn after in games one and two, they pulled Schmidt from the net and finally made a change there. Then the Hughes brothers decide to go off. I don't understand why we keep talking about Jack losing a tooth because players lose teeth all the time, but apparently that's a thing. Um, and power plays to your point, Sarah, being also actually ineffective with four shorthanded goals being scored as compared to one power play goal in game three. 
Sarah, we always go to you first because you do have that history of understanding this Carolina team and this coach and how he steers them through sometimes surprise adversity. What are you making of this series so far? And is New Jersey back on a heater like they did in round one to come back and win that round? Or is this just a little bit of a gasp of energy before Carolina reasserts itself? Yeah, this is interesting now. Imagine if they do the same exact thing that they did in round one with the Rangers where they just came back. I don't know. I think that's interesting. But I love that Luke Hughes is here now. I think that was a good call to get him in there. Uh, I think he's going to be a great player. Jack Hughes, they need to make, hello, devil social media. You need to make a little edit that says, he looks up grinning like a devil from Cruel Summer, Taylor Swift, and he has his tooth out. I don't, I think they're making a big deal of it because it's his first tooth he's ever lost while playing. Um, I don't know. Sarah, that's very genius. How, that's how, it's so Irony. good. <laughs> but that being said, oh my God, I was watching a little bit of yesterday's game. I like stuff come up, but I was trying, but it was insane. Um, you just never knew what was going to happen. And then the Hurricanes got two back real quick. Everybody's fighting. Aho and Hughes are fighting. That was just psycho. So now we have ourselves a series. I don't think that the Hurricanes are out of the woods. I think that I, I tried hard not to make another Taylor Swift reference. But how, you have to do it. You have to do it. But now the Hurricanes just need to shake this off. Shake yeah. it off. Hey! The loss, right? Together. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, there was a goalie change. Uh, the Hurricanes don't usually do goalie changes. Now I'm wondering, is Kachekov going to be the guy going forward? Is it going to be Anderson? Is it going to be Ranta? <laughs> Literally, who knows? There's three have entered the chat now. So, it, it is interesting. Yeah, this has been the postseason of goalie changes, more so than I think we've ever seen. Shayna, that game three, aberration or prediction of things to come? Yeah, right. Is this is this a redo of round one where they go down and get the shit kicked out of them for two games. And then because it, because like if the devils are losing games, they're not losing them in close games. They're blowouts. It's so strange. And then that's what they rebound from. Do they have the canes right where they want them? I would say probably not because canes are a better team than the Rangers and a lot more adaptable than them. Uh, but it's, it's interesting too, because like, even with the canes, we don't have clarity on who's going to be in goal. We don't with the devils either because Vanacek wasn't that perfect. You know, I think the one thing we know, it's not going to be Blackwood. Rightfully so. It's going to be Schmid or, you know, Vanacek. And we look at a team. The, the reason they put Schmidt in in the first place, one of them was that he's really good with tips and deflections. And that's something like this Hurricanes team. That's how they score a lot of goals. Like, so there's so many questions for the Devils, too. And knowing when to change and when not to change has been the biggest question mark this entire postseason with goalies. So it's a weird one there. The power play situation is so odd. It's two teams that can somehow neutralize each other because they have better penalty kills. But the five on five plays where I, I still I really want a close game. Like I'm begging for a close game because I want to know how stylistically this is going to go the rest of the series instead of it being the Canes are playing to their strengths for two games. And here the Devils all of a sudden finally could play their rush game. Like I, I hope this starts to stabilize so we can actually like learn something from the series, not who's going to have a good day and who's going to have a bad day. But like the Devils, what hurts them now is they are without Ryan Graves. He got hurt after the hit from fast in game two. And now it's like you have Luke Hughes, but, you know, with the good comes the bad. He had a mistake that led to that um, the shorthanded penalty kill shot, uh, penalty shot <laughs> in a shorthand. It's never a good day for the other team when Jordan Martinook is crushing it on the penalty kill shot. <laughs> 
Yeah. Why are we calling it that? <laughs> the penalty kill shot. There's two because it, it's so it's like that kind of does a shorthand goal, and I'm like laughing. Like I yes. get why, but I'm like. Okay. But no, you're seeing like the wrinkles in his games too. It's it's inexperience. It's pressure. And if anyone can put up the pressure, it's the cane. So, you know, like, I don't, I really don't know how this series is going to go because I don't feel like we're learning enough in games one, two, and three. We're just seeing like absolute shit hit the fan each game. Like the devils were a horrible matchup for the canes all, se- or all season. That didn't matter in games one and two. So who adjusts, who does better? Because like that, who adjusted was des- decided who won round one, like for the devils and the Rangers. So like, what are we getting now? I don't know. There was know. also the last change issue where I think Stahl couldn't contain Hughes and he finally went off in game three. Like he had a rough game one and two because Stahl had been containing him so well. So yeah. it, like, it really does matter for these teams that have these like stars that they depend on. So I like, happens. sorry, I like that shutdown matchup for Stahl too. Cause like round one, he went up against Barzell, who's just very happy being one of the best in transition, one of the best playmakers. And then that was Hughes. And then Hughes added the element of like actually shooting the puck to his game. And now it's like, okay, now here's a leveled up version of Barzell. You're getting stall. Enjoy this one around two and see how you do. It's like a different task for him. Like what's it going to be in round three? If he makes it, who could be that next level player? Oh my God, guys. Imagine if it's Panthers hurricanes and it's all the stall brothers. Okay. <laughs> Which, okay. That here's was, my thing. Like, be- I and now I am an only child admitting this, but like <laughs> watching all the oh my gosh, I raised my hand and Zoom detected that I raised my hand with the this is creepy. AI oh is taking oh my God. <laughs> things are happening. It's Try this. I don't even know. <laughs> so is that like if you're in a meeting and you do this, you don't have to click the button that you want to talk? Yes, that is oh awesome. that might be nice and accessible. <laughs> Does it for people that maybe That's can't true. click a no, button or something? But now it doesn't work anymore. I only get one question, apparently. Here's my question. <laughs> I'm going to talk. You talk. I'm going to raise my hand. I want to see if it works. Keep talking. <laughs> Just ignore me when I do it. Okay, here we go. Here's my thing. I'm an only child, but like they're <laughs> trotting out Luke and Jack like everywhere together. Like they did media together. They did post. Like what if they get sick of each other? Like I feel like we're doing a little bit more, too much forcing of the brotherly love narrative. Maybe they don't care. No, to he's the reason that seven. they have what is this Oasis. He wanted, <laughs> he wanted fighting. Luke there though. Like that, I think is so clear. Like, so I feel yeah. like he's okay with it. But imagine he like fine. regrets it. He's <laughs> like, I this thought this Oasis. was gonna be great. Now get the fuck out of well, here. This is what that I'm was saying. not in the shadow. This is what I'm saying. I wouldn't. Don't look back. I wouldn't. I don't. As someone. As someone who has two siblings, the ultimate, and I have two sisters. It's like not like I have like there's three girls, right? That's what I would two not want my fucking sisters. Mean, yes. Yeah, but I'm saying it's not like it's like I have a brother. I feel like that's a different dynamic from like a sister to a brother. I'm not getting it. I like I tried and it's not working. <laughs> um, I wouldn't want my fucking sisters on my team. I'd be like, get the fuck out. This is my time. This is my time to shine. Go home. Go sit in the stands. Carry beers in your pockets. Go fucking ape shit. Have a great time. This is my time. I would not want to do media with them. I'd be like, no, enough. Like, go away. I'd be so annoyed. I have to deal with you all the time. I'd be so annoyed. I think it's different. I'm a shitty sister, NHL, I guess. Like, <laughs> but why? You know, there's like, money involved. I know, but like, still, the, like, your brother has to get to annoy you at some point. Like, you can't want to spend twenty four seven with. I would your, not. No. So, no. all right, we'll see if this becomes the the. And Jack's the a middle child. He should be deranged like uh, me. Okay. He should be feeling like this. Like, no, let me have my one damn minute to shine. Like he ha- he should have middle child syndrome. Jack, what is happening here? 
Well, let's talk about some players. The best one. Let's talk about some players who are getting their chance to shine, and that takes us to the West and the Edmonton Oilers Vegas Golden Knights series, um, folks. This is the series of stars popping. Leon Dreisaitl has eight thousand goals. Connor McDavid doing Connor McDreisaitl. Connor McDavid doing Connor McDavid things. Evander Kane doing shitty things. I didn't care for the extracurriculars, but people I've talked to who have actually played the game did not necessarily have a problem with what he did. They had a problem with the officials not necessarily involving themselves sooner. But Edmonton seems to be ramping up even more so than we thought they could. They dominated game four, game two, excuse me. Their power play is operating at 60%. Shana and I, along with our friend Prashant, have been tracking power plays and how much they get called and how effective they are as the playoffs go forward. And Edmonton is doing their very best, again, to ruin everything by having 8,000. They're trying to pump up our numbers. They're like, no one else is scoring them. We got to do it. Throwing off the averages. Um, they These two teams will face off in game three um, before uh, you hear this episode. So we don't know what's going to happen in that but Sarah, what is surprising you about the Edmonton Golden Knights series so far? Is Edmonton finally saying it's their year? And that's what is surprising me the most. I think it's all clicking and like today I've just I I think the Edmonton Oilers are sometimes more leafy than the Leafs and we don't give them enough credit for like how How do the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers affect the Leafs? It's Thank all you. come together. They sometimes just feel like maybe I just have higher hopes from them. And it's just even more depressing to watch two of the best, most fun stars in the league get a fuck all like in the postseason. So I'm actually really looking forward to this. I, I think that surprising me the most. I mean, obviously, and also the good decisions by Ken Holland that have made Ekholm is excellent. Um, I think Skinner's played pretty well. I I need to watch this one much More. closer yeah. than I have been. But I, I think maybe the Golden Knights kind of giving out is surprising me too. Dana, there's been reports from practices and things like that, that Mark Stone, who obviously has dealt with significant injuries um, throughout his career, but in this season, again, um, may not be at 100%. What are your thoughts on what we're seeing from him? We certainly don't know the specifics as to his actual health, but how has he looked to you? We know he can be a difference maker. Is he able to have the impact he usually does right now? Yeah, for anyone who's like, oh, well, long-term IR, here we go. Like, see, he was hurt. You can see it. Like, go have back surgery and get back on the ice and tell me how you feel. It's the same fucking conversation as Nikita Kucherov. Um, yeah, he he definitely has had some standout moments in this series. and But it's not, not in this series, I'm sorry, this postseason, but it's not like we're seeing the prototypical Mark Stahl, uh, Mark, Jesus Christ, wow. Mark stone that we're used to we're talking about all the stall brothers my brain just like died on me um mark stone like it's, it's not i'm not seeing the hand anymore it Are you did it they it? just did it and then it went away there it is there it is see we're not getting the hand no, there oh there it is. it is okay sorry no one That's there will be more views on our youtube than ever to understand what's going on go ahead sheena yeah right it's just i feel like when we think of mark stone at his best it's him stealing pucks and you know being just a terror in the neutral zone because he can do it all and anytime you try to get past him like up oh, the pucks off your stick it's gone and i don't think we're seeing that enough we saw some like big pops with like power play scoring and even strength scoring and doing things with chandler stevenson who he makes a great partnership with but i don't think we're seeing peak mark stone and this is a big test for it like 
Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid can make anybody look human. And we know that, especially like depending on how they're deployed. And that's such a weapon that Edmonton has because they know they can be separate. They know that they can be together. They know what to do with them at even strength and when to change, when not to change. It's not like if Mark Stone can't contain them, he's broken. But like, talk about a fucking challenge. Five games after coming back, after missing all that time. Like, it's, you know, that's that's a tough call for him right there. So it would be nice to see him at full strength and healthy. And hopefully we see him that way next year. But I don't think if he doesn't play to the level we expect, it necessarily means like it's because of that. But it likely is contributing to it. So again, we'll talk more about this series after we have a couple more games under our belt. We know that again, game three is being played Monday night. I think it's Monday. As we record this, I just know that that's the game tonight and that I am not working a game tonight, which brings us to (laughs) the final series that is still going on. And that is the mighty Seattle Kraken at the Dallas Stars. Seattle goes into Dallas, wins game one in overtime. Game two, some of the fatigue of playing every other day and going seven games in round one against the Dallas team that did get a few days rest started to show um, by head coach Dave Haxtall's own admission and Dallas handily won game two. But then after two days rest, a Kraken team that has been a little bit of a struggle bus at home comes out and dominates 7-2 game three victory over the Dallas Stars to take a 2-1 series lead. The Kraken have 16 unique goal scorers in this postseason. They're doing all of that without Jared McCann and Andre Burakovsky. That five-goal second period, it's worth noting, comes on the heels of Haskinen leaving after taking a puck to the face and not returning to the game. As of we record, we don't know his status for the upcoming game. Jake Ottinger chased from the net, people. Sarah, what's entertaining you about this series so far? Yeah, Jake Ottinger is not Jake Ottingering right now, but the thing is that's one game, right? So let's see how he bounces back. But what is entertaining to me this series is being right about the Kraken and all the different goal scorers. Like we said, it's like the same old story with the Kraken. They just keep getting it done in that way. And it's they're just exploding and it's so fun to watch. So I would like to offer a point of clarification. There's all these people talking about how all of a sudden the Kraken figured out something blocker side on Jake Ottinger. I reported that first, even if you don't want to mention that. Please that's credit okay. Allison Lucan. That's okay. But no, here we, we are. can't. We can't ever do that. Why ever have an ounce, one ounce of courtesy in this fucking industry? Here we are. Um, but but she, if a man did it, but, but if a man do, did it, but I do want to say I I wonder if and you know. I'm overstating this perhaps because we know players can be very good at insulating themselves from public narratives, particularly this time of year. But if people are talking about finding a weakness in a goaltender's game and the team or the player starts to respond to that, could this game have been a little bit in Jake Ottinger's head? Or do you think this was just an off night for a player, which can literally happen to even the best players in this league? It literally could be either way, right? Like how, how do you not, if you're a goalie too, how do you not let, I mean, look, we know that goalies have like the strongest mindsets of anybody, right? Like they have to be so focused in, but how do you not let things get in your head too? Like, especially it's the playoffs. This is new for him. It's round two. It's a series. I think everyone expected them to win. That's more pressure on them and more pressure on him. Like, and now it's not just you had to study somewhat like 
you're playing the Oilers. You know you're probably going to get beat by Connor McDavid and Leandro Seidel. These are their tendencies. You can't do that with Seattle. Maybe you would with Jared McCann, but you can't do that when they have contributions from everybody. I think that's an even bigger test because every, it's not that they would be off on a certain shift, but it's a little bit different when you're studying the ice for some of the best goal scorers in the league versus, you know, everybody could be a little bit more dangerous. I just think it's like a tougher way to think of it, but it could have just been an off night. It hasn't been a perfect postseason for him though. That is true. It's, it's a weird year for goalies. Like you said earlier, the stars have struggled in second or not second periods, but just like to put together a full 60 all season anyway. So I think that kind of like lack of flow to the game gets to them. And I think you just go back to the first game where Pavelski scored four and they didn't win. And that really is so deflating in the playoffs. It's going to be interesting because there was like a brief period, less than a minute, so I don't want to overstate it, where they did bring Pavs back up to that top line in game three. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they go back to splitting him off like they had in games one and two or if they bring him back. I'm also really curious to see if Haskinen comes back because I am not a doctor, but I, I don't know. And and in defense, Pete DeBoer did say post game that part of not bringing him back was the score and the game he implied, uh, or I inferred, yeah. I should say, that the game was already out of hand. But um, we also know Dallas is a very good team, and we know that they're going to have one hell of a counterpunch in game four. So it'll be interesting to see um, how they respond and how the Kraken responds. What are the keys for Dallas, do you think, going into game four if they want to split this little mini two-game series as well, Shana? Ooh, good question. I think uh, keeping up with the offense that works for them is important. This like we see how many another team like the dirty goals, the tips and deflections. I feel like we're such a strength of their game. You see it from players like Joe Pavelski and also like Wyatt Johnson. We know that Hints can do that. We know Robertson can. They have a, Jamie Ben can. They have a lineup that can do that. I think the other thing is I'm curious about their versatility up front. And I want to see how much we see adjustments with that because we saw last game, even like they were switching up who took the draw for certain situations and putting out players to have like that extra center out there. It's such a strength to have. And we, I think we make way too much of faceoffs, but some teams like have certain plans in place for when they win or lose. And that's what it's all about. So it's going to be interesting to see like how they keep up with that as well. Um, the other key is obviously making sure the power play clicks like that was such a weapon for them and went round one and it hasn't been this series, which I expected it to be. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because even though um, Dallas lost, you know, Dave Haxtell said after the game that there was still a lot that the Kraken need to clean up. And if you look at some of the underlying numbers, their top lines did have a lot of domination offensively. So um, we will see how that series shakes out. Any closing thoughts on that series or the playoffs in general, Sarah, before we move on to our very favorite game. Um, it's just been fun, the explosion of goals that's finally happening. I'm so here for that. And I'm kind of here for the lopsided games. Like I know we learn more in the close ones, but I think it's just really fun when you look around and you're like, what the hell's happening? Yes, indeed. And to bring it all back, I forgot, the Kraken had sustainable material light up bracelets at game three last night. And they are just like the ones Taylor Swift has at her concerts. That's not where I thought you were going with that. Like that's the most important news at all. What did you think? Where did you think I was going? We did the fuck Mary kill about which giveaways we like the most. And they also had rally towels. I thought you were going to say they had both and look at the vibes because now you're waving the rally towel, which is something you're going to keep forever. Right? Like if you're a fan and then you also have the light up bracelet while you're waving the towel, well, like Dallas it's a nice touch. Too. 
It's okay, it's, but I like it. Although Dallas I just had the same I like towels it. for game three and the four, and Kraken have had unique towels for every single game at home. I'm just saying, shout out. I, to I like the unique towels. I like the, as as someone who has a couple, and also like I know my friends have superstitions with theirs. Like one of my friends yep. literally would stuff his pockets with. I remember when Pittsburgh played the Islanders in the playoffs. He stuffed his pockets with all his rally towels, and each period he had to like take out a certain one, and it was a very particular one, so they had to be different and he knew which one to like take out of his pocket which to hold in his hand which to do like every crazy thing and i mean hey it worked for them that series so he kept up with it like you need different towels you can't i just like like them i just like them because they highlight the great creative work of katie spence at the seattle kraken and nicole chavez so we'll leave it there how about that and they're teal Ice blue blue. it's ice blue excuse me it's one of the best color schemes crack and blue crack and blue all right, kids. Oh, and we got a Shayna pun, too, on Twitter for the Kraken winning. Good job, Shayna. Proud of you. Good job. Thanks. Thanks. My brain was breaking while I was writing a story, and I was like, it came to me quick. I was like, there we go. I felt, I was like, yes, that's a quick one. It's so fucking cheesy. I knew you'd like it. Very good. All right, my friends, we end every episode with our favorite game, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. As we told you last episode, we're going to use this time to break through the finalists for the major NHL awards this season. And next up in the lineup are the Lady Bing finalists. And in emphasis, Shana has just highlighted our game notes with bright pink. So I Uh, need a moment. It was blue on my end. Oh, well, it's pink over here. Uh, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, In the Lady Bing finalists, here they are. They are New Jersey's Jack Hughes, LA's Anze Kopitar, and Tampa Bay's Braden Point. We are going to fuck, Mary kill them. And I, in a rare instance, I'm going to go first because I'm going to go quick and it's going to be easy. I'm killing all three of them because Maddie Beneers <laughs> shouldn't be on this list. The man had Senior one case. penalty, one penalty, and I ran the numbers and I posted them on Twitter. And if you look at the stats cited in the press release for why these three players were all considered finalists, He is comparable across all of the categories, plus some I added with the three finalists. And the arguments I got back when this was posted was that he's too young and hasn't been in the league long enough, basically. So looking at that, it's hard for me to understand why an award that is kind of made up anyway, there's no actual real qualifications. This is like gentlemanly conduct or whatever the hell it is. Like, The fact that a rookie can't qualify just because he plays just as effectively when as a rookie, you're arguably more targeted in your welcome to the NHL moments than any other player. I cannot. Shayna, fuck, Mary kill the three Lady Bing finalists. Okay. Um, I'm going to marry Braden Point because I actually had him on my ballot because I think that there is something to being a top offensive forward who goes up against top uh, defensemen. And to maintain discipline, he draws a ton of penalties. He doesn't take many. He plays the game well, yada, yada, yada. Sure. That's why he was on my ballot. But he wasn't number one. Not even years was. Oh. Um, I'm going... Yeah. Amazing, right? Um, I'm going to fuck Kopitar. Kopitar was, again, not on my ballot. Um, But I get the line of thinking because on the flip side of being a top forward that goes up against top defenders, a shutdown forward is super impressive to not take penalties, right? Because when you're defending, you have a higher probability of taking a penalty. That's how it works in this league. And if you're taking on top forwards, there's a better chance of that. I personally had Nico Hishier, who I thought did a better job of that than Kopitar and didn't have as much support to go up against top competition as Kopitar did with Deneau. 
I will kill Jack Hughes. Yes, I understand. He had very few penalty minutes. And uh, all of that is great and wonderful. But Maddie Benier should be on here. So I simply cannot support this at all. Um, you know, it, I have no issues with how he plays the game. I, I don't like this award. I think it's dumb um, because, like, there's no definition and nobody understands it. But I, I just have to put my foot down and say it should be Maddie Benier's. But since we don't have him, I'll go with my number two pick of point. Sarah, what I say you? Player, I think the players should vote on this, right? Ooh, because I think that's a good that idea. Would, they would know who plays before. the game well. You've said this before. Yeah. First of all, it would make them actually care about the trophy a little bit more. Second of all, it would give a more accurate representation who really does. Like you hear hot mics sometimes and what people are saying. I think chirps have to be a part of gentlemanly conduct, right? For like sure. can you do a good chirp without crossing the line way too much? I don't know. That being said, yeah, I'm going to marry Jack Hughes. I thought that was, I think he's, the be- for what he does in the game, the penalties he pulls um, and how much he's improved his game with still keeping it clean. I'm going to marry him in this situation. I'm going to kill um, point because I didn't have him on my ballot. I'm going to fuck Kopitar. I had him on my ballot. And I think he had such a great season that I we just forget about him sometimes because he's been in the game so long, but now he's had such an important reason for the resurgence of the Kings. And he's been there through it all. So I don't know. I don't really, I don't know. I try to understand this trophy and it ends up being like who had the fewest penalties. Yep. But I, yeah, it's up for debate. Very fair. Fake award, but nonetheless, still Maddie Beniers. Anyway, stepping off my soapbox. Uh, that'll do it for us this episode, my friends. It's that crazy, wonderful, delirious time of year when the games don't make sense, but they are fun as hell, hopefully. We hope that you are enjoying them as much as we are. If you want to connect with us and some of our thoughts or submit your boots on the ground videos, pictures, or audio to us, be sure to connect with us on social We are on Instagram and Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. That's where you can connect there. And if you would like to buy some of our merch, you can go to too many men merch.com and get hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, switch cases, watch bands, notebooks, burn books, anything your little heart desires, including bit O news merch. We love to see it. We wear it proudly. We hope you do too. And until we talk again next time, we ask that each of you please try to do something no matter how big or small to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.